Hi, I'm Michael Sunoff, founder and CEO of HardToFindSeminars.com. For the last five years, I've interviewed the world's best business and marketing minds. Along the way, I've created a successful publishing business, all from home, from my two-car garage. When my first child was born, he was very sick, and it was then that I knew I had to have a business that I could operate from home. Now my challenge is to build the world's largest free resource for online downloadable MP3 audio business interviews. I knew I needed a site that contained strategies, solutions, and inside angles to help you live better, to save and make more money, to stay healthier, and to get more out of life. I've learned a lot in the last five years, and today I'm going to show you the skills you need to survive. Organize with confidence. And it is not only the tool systems, but I really get into the most important thing, Michael, is people think it's all about the outer junk. It's about the inner junk. It's about how do you feel about yourself inside. Because I tell the people in the audience, you know, I can give you the best workshop ever. You can go home with my tools and systems, buy my products, and get organized. I can almost guarantee you won't maintain it. Because if you don't feel that you deserve to live and work in the best environment possible, it won't stick. So you've got to start with your self-confidence first, and you need to believe that you are a fantastic, worthwhile person and that you deserve the best life possible. Hi, it's Michael Sinoff with Michael Sinoff's HardToFindSeminars.com. The title of this interview is called How to Save Money and Live Better Just by Organizing Your Clutter. Believe it or not, your messy desk could be costing you serious bucks every year. Not only does clutter make you feel stressed out and overwhelmed, but it also slows down your productivity. In fact, the average person spends at least one hour a day just looking for stuff. So in this 45-minute audio interview, you'll meet Elizabeth Hagen, Elizabeth is an organizing expert who does speeches and workshops designed to help people to become more efficient. And after you're done listening to her interview, you'll know how to manage everything from a messy desk to a habitual procrastination. You'll also learn in this interview some simple tips for small business owners that will keep you organized and on track. You'll learn Elizabeth's 5F plan for getting rid of the paper pile for good. You'll learn how to turn your messy desk into a clean, efficient command. Center. You'll learn about some time and cost-saving computer tools that will help you offline as well. You'll learn why Elizabeth prefers action cards instead of to-do lists and how to make them work for you. You'll learn how perfectionism, procrastination, and multitasking actually makes you less productive in ways to stop yourself from letting them slow down your day. You'll learn what mind mapping is and how to use it to tackle even your biggest challenges. You'll learn the strategies and incentives Elizabeth uses to promote her workshops and speeches. You'll also learn how Elizabeth gets 30% of her audience to buy her products after her speeches. According to Elizabeth, becoming organized will not only bring up your self-confidence, it will also help you take charge of your day and your life. In this interview with Elizabeth, gives you just the right tools to get started today. Now let's get going. Are you ready to get organized? If so, go over to Elizabeth's website at organizingtoolsandtips.com. That's organizingtoolsandtips.com. Well, why don't we start from the beginning? Tell me, how did this whole organizing thing start with you? Were you a real organized person or were you totally opposite? Well, no, I was not born organized, but something happened in 1985. And in 1985, my husband and I had four children under the age of five. And to say my life was chaotic and disorganized is to minimize it greatly. I didn't know what I was doing. But I realized something one day. As I was living in this just kind of chaotic environment, and I didn't feel like I was being a very good mom or home manager, I realized I didn't like myself very much. And then I realized when I didn't like myself, I didn't treat people in my life like I wanted to treat them. This was a huge aha moment for me. What made you, like, all of a sudden realize it? I think it was one time when I snapped at a child over something dumb only because, you know, I couldn't find something or maybe I forgot their cupcakes for preschool. It's something dumb. I thought, this isn't right at all. I need to change some things here because I love those children more than anything. And I thought, you know, maybe there's some books out there on how to run a home because I've had my own clothing store business before I got married. 
And I had run that pretty efficiently and organized, so I knew I could probably figure this out. And so I went to the library, Michael. Remember, this was back in 1985 before Amazon.com. And I found a couple books. And there's one book on how to be a home manager. And I started implementing those systems and tools. As I did, and then I fine-tuned them for my family, I realized something. As the clutter went away and the chaos went away and the environment started functioning better, I felt better about myself. I liked myself. I became a better home manager and mom. Do you remember back in those days, like when you were reading that book and you've got this chaotic house and four kids under five, I'm sure it's crazy. What were some of the things you learned in that book that you put into action right away that you saw some results? Simple things that you think you'd know, but I didn't know, like planning your meals a week ahead of time. I mean, who's going to think of that? So on Sundays, I planned the meals for the whole week, get all the groceries, and that took enormous stress off knowing what was served for dinner every night. I started doing laundry three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Rather than seven days a week? Rather than wait until it was... All piled up. Yeah, this kind of messy and stuff is normal. It was scheduling things, just like you do in business. And thinking ahead, planning ahead, things like that. Oh, and I started using a paper-based day planner where I write everything down and all the preschool things and kindergarten and soccer and all those things got into a calendar so I was trying to remember everything in my head. So things like that, just simple things, but yet they were kind of mind-blowing to me, I guess. Yeah, did you see a dramatic difference or was it a slow progression? I'd say, Michael, a slow progression as each system I would implement and then fine-tune for this busy household slowly but surely would change things around. So organization is kind of synonymous with time management. Very much so, but even more, Michael, it's synonymous with confidence. Because when a person can walk into their office and find what they need immediately, or when you look at their email inbox and it's 20 instead of 2,000, you feel good about yourself. So I think it's really all about confidence. I've heard some of the stats on how much time is wasted because of people being unorganized. Anything on that? The average person spends an hour a day just looking for stuff. If you would add that up, that's six weeks of work a year going down the tube that you're wasting time, six weeks. That's frustrating. Oh, it's frustrating. And when you can't find something, who do you get mad at? Yourself. You call yourself names, and you don't know what to do. And the person on the other end of the line who needs the information, then they're getting angry because they don't have it. It's not a good feeling at all. Okay, what about those people who just thrive on it? They love the drama, and you know there's people out there. They love it. They have something to complain about. <laughs> Talk to me about those people, and I know you've seen them. How do you categorize that type of person? When they say to me, oh, I've got all these piles, but I know everything is, and I work best in a cluttered environment, I always ask them this question, how is that working for you? I mean, truly, how is that working for you? And they have a big smile, they say, it's great, I'm happy. I go, that's fantastic, you're doing great. But I would say seven times out of ten, Michael, if they really stop to think, how is it really working, it's not just a crutch kind of excuse, I say, you know what, it's really not working that well. I really can't find things. I feel overwhelmed, but I don't know what to do, so I say it's okay so I don't have to think about it. What do people get out of being unorganized? Some people who are chronically unorganized, chronically late, there's something in it for them, isn't there? Well, I don't know. There are organizers, Michael, who specialize with ADD clients and chronically disorganized clients, and I'm not one of those. Okay, just curious. Yeah, they would have more information than I would on that. All right, so take me back to your story. So you started implementing some things in your life from this one book. Did you pull ideas from multiple books? How much stuff was on the subject? No, it was that one book. Plus, I thought back to my own business life before I got married, some systems and tools I used with that and use those in my home. For example, just planning ahead. Oh, another one that was one of my favorites was, you can imagine four kids under five, my nights were as busy as my days. You know, kids would wake up sick or need a glass of water or whatnot. And so I really quickly learned to plan for the next day the night before because I wanted to, Michael, wake up in the morning ahead of the game, not behind. And so every night we'd put on some catchy music and we'd play the music and we'd all have a pickup time around the house. I would set the breakfast table for the next morning. We'd get the backpacks out. We'd make the school lunches. So when I woke up, and I always woke up before the kids, that was key, our day started great. So something simple like that was really huge for me. Yeah, that's nice. You know, I've got two kids. I've got an 8-year-old and a 6-year-old, and I can relate. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, so as I was implementing these systems and tools and it started to work, time went by, and I just loved it. I started to really love organization and order and doing all this. And I have kind of a 
joke that when the fourth child started kindergarten, I had so much time in my hands that we had a fifth child. <laughs> we really did. Yeah. But when he started preschool and school, I realized that these kids were going to grow up and leave me someday, and I started to look around for work that I wanted to do. I didn't want to work for anybody else. I had been at home for 19 years, and so I discovered then NAPO, the National Association of Professional Organizers, in 2000, and then joined that organization, and that's how I started my business. Did you ever even know that that existed? Never knew. When you found it, were you like, oh, wow. I couldn't believe it. And then I went to the first conference. It was in Austin in 2000. I walked in, and I felt like I'd come home. I was around all these people who love label makers as much as I did. They love file folders. You have to explain what you did to somebody else. They got it. And it was like, I cannot believe this is out there. People can do this and make money doing this. It was great. How big of an industry is this mm-hmm. organizing industry? It's really growing. We now have 4,200 members, mainly in the United States, and more on the East Coast and West Coast, Michael, is much bigger than in the Midwest. But it's getting bigger. I think people are realizing that just like you have a cleaning lady or a nanny, you know, a professional organizer is one more person to help you make your life easier. So I think it's going to just get bigger and bigger. Have you found, just in your research and the years you've been doing this, are there certain type of people who are more organized than others, like ethnic-wise, any kind of trends like that? Or all across the board, some people are organized and some people aren't? I would say so. I work more with women than men. So people say, that, well, women must be more unorganized. I don't think that's so true. I think that a lot of men have women in their lives who are organized and can help them. How about your family? I mean, you making a decision to get organized, but your family, your husband or someone's partner, they have to kind of be on the same side. I mean, do you need support from your family to make it work within a home? I think so. But I tell you what, Michael, the number one question I get at workshops is a woman will raise their hand, or a man, but usually a woman, and say, you know, I'm doing okay, but it's my husband. What can I do about my husband? And I always say, the only person you can change in your life is yourself. And so work on yourself first, get your stuff put together, and hopefully they'll see what difference it makes in your life and how content you are that they may want to apply some of those systems. Now, for myself and my husband, we've been married almost 30 years, I don't know that he's all that organized, but he appears to be, because A, he's married to me, And B, he has eight women he works with in his clinic. So he's got a lot of help. Well, what does your husband do? Chiropractor. Okay, very good. So you realized that your kids were in school. You were quite organized. You didn't want to go work for someone. You really loved this, and you decided to kind of make it a business? Yes, and also during these years, other moms would ask me, well, Elizabeth, why do you use a streaming binder for your family notebook? And they would always ask me about my calendar or different things that I did. And I loved sharing it, so that was part of it too. And so, yeah, I started my business. And it was interesting when I did because it took a difference in my life. I thought that all I'd have to do is write a letter to everybody I knew and tell them about my business, and my phone would ring off the hook. And it didn't. It didn't ring at all. I thought, I can't believe this. What was the model? If that worked in a perfect world, what is it you were selling in that letter? What was the offer? I was selling that I would come into their home and help them set up systems like I have in my home and help them get organized. And how much were you going to charge for that? Oh, way back then, like 35 bucks an hour. Did you learn this from the association? We're not allowed to speak fees in the association, so I just took the number out of the hat. Okay, so that was a model, a per hour type deal. Yes. Okay, and did you try a letter? Yes, I sent this letter out and got no response. How many people did you send it out to? Oh, like maybe 100. And then sent it again, no response. And I was talking to a friend who owned a spa. He said, Elizabeth, I've got a small meeting room. Why don't you hold workshops? And I said, are you crazy? I was a shy person in high school, hated speech class, never, never thought I'd ever get them to speak. But I'm a really determined, stubborn woman, and I want to make this business work. I thought, you know what, if that's what it takes, I'll do it. Because, you see, I had to educate people, Michael, why they would need someone like me. Because people here had never heard of this, so it would be a little hard to hire someone for something you never heard of. Was it going to be a free workshop? A free workshop. And so she invited her people. I invited a few people I had. Five people showed up. Three were her staff, and two were people that had found out through me, I guess. The most interesting thing happened, Michael. I had typed my speech. I read my speech. I can't imagine how awful it was. But a gal named Julie sat in the audience, and she hired me, and she was the absolute best client I ever had. We did her whole house twice. She was pleasant, funny. It was a blast working with her. 
I realized that speaking is the number one strategy for us in the service industry business because, particularly organizers, we do such a personal business with you. You know, we're in your drawers, you know, literally seeing all your stuff. Would you want to hire someone to be in your drawers off the yellow page ad? I wouldn't think so. I think you want to meet this person first to see if you even like them and want them in your house. Yeah, it's a real trust type thing. Yes. And so I started getting more and more of these little teeny workshops. And then one day, someone came up to me in a workshop and said, Elizabeth, this is great. What would you charge to speak to my office staff? And I said, $50? And she said, sure, great. I thought, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I'm making 50 bucks to speak. And that was just the start. And then I started speaking. Of course, my fee is raised and raised and raised now. And now, three years ago, I joined the National Speakers Association. I speak all over the country, and I actually do very little hands-on organizing anymore. It's mainly all speaking. You're listening to an exclusive interview found on Michael Sinoff's hardtofindseminars.com. Over those years, about how many clients did you do hands-on organizing with? Oh, I'd with? say a good 200, 250. So you like the speaking business better? Is I don't like the organizing because what I'm doing, I'm great. But I'd rather speak, A, I can get more people at one time, and B, the pay's a lot better. You could leverage your time. Oh, my. So when you were doing those 200 clients, you were charging per hour? Well, actually, I charged per hour, Michael, for about maybe three to four years. And then I looked at the coach, and she said, go to package pricing. And so I worked real hard on packages, and I had two packages I offered, and I would bring in the supplies you'd need for that area. It was a win-win because the client didn't have to go out and buy anything. I brought everything in, we'd get a lot more done. So once I went to package pricing, A, I was helping the client more, I was making a lot more money also. So when you were putting on these workshops, tell me some of the marketing strategies you used to get people to your workshops. You mentioned one. You kind of did a joint venture with yes. the spa lady, and she endorsed it and invited some of her people. What are some other ways as you did these workshops that you got people to them? About six years ago, I started doing a monthly email newsletter. And so I'd always promote my workshops in the newsletter. So was it a local newsletter? No, the email goes out to all around the world. But anybody who's in this area would see it and come. And then also, I thought of in my town, what businesses do I frequent that are locally owned? For example, a monthly cooking place where I work out, the high-end consignment shop, places like that. And I wanted to tell them, if you will put my flyers here for these workshops, then I will put your business card or a flyer for you on the chair in the audience. And so, again, it was kind of a strategic alliance type thing. There. Very good. And people yeah. did that. Yeah. And then also in my town, if you offer a free workshop, all the community calendars will post your event for free. So I did that, and I've been written up quite a bit in the paper. I've been on the news not so much recently, but more I've been a lot of the organizing. So I got to be pretty well known here also, which helped. Your workshops, how large did they get? I thought it was the biggest, like 120. The average is around 40 to 50. So you put on the workshops, and what would you teach in the workshops? Organize with confidence. And it is not only the tools and systems, but I really get into the most important thing, Michael, is people think it's all about the outer junk. It's about the inner junk. It's about how do you feel about yourself inside. Because I tell the people in the audience, you know, I can give you the best workshop ever. You can go home with my tools and systems, buy my products, and get organized. But I can almost guarantee you won't maintain it. Because if you don't feel that you deserve to live and work in the best environment possible, it won't stick. So we've got to start with your self-confidence first. And you need to believe that you are a fantastic, worthwhile person and that you deserve the best life possible. So you've looked at a lot of people's homes, and you've had over 200 personal clients who are quite unorganized. What did you learn about these people? Is there a common denominator that you saw working with these clients? That's a good question. One thing I found with many of them, especially with those that had a lot of stuff, was that when you spend time with them, they tell you their personal stories. Most of the time, there's some trauma in childhood, abuse, death of a parent or a sibling or alcoholism or something. And my take on I'm no therapist, is that this whole will form of your heart with this terrible, terrible pain. And I think that people grow up, if they don't deal with that pain and get therapy and, and get healed of it, they try and fill that void with stuff. 
Yeah, like compulsive shopping or hoarders. Yeah, so that's kind of a common thing that usually, almost always, there is something in childhood that they need to talk about and get out. And I would help them some, but that if they need more help, send to a professional person who did this. But that was pretty common, Michael. Yeah, so you saw that. So you could get them organized and patch up and clean up the house, but unless they dealt with their issues, it probably wasn't going to stick. Exactly. That's interesting. I guess maybe you didn't have much experience with super organized people, or maybe you did. I mean, was there a common denominator that you saw about people who were very organized and efficient that you are? Yeah. Mainly, they don't hire me because, you know, they're organized, but sometimes they come to my workshop, and I found that they come because they're like me. They love this stuff, and they're always looking for the next best thing or something else that maybe they don't know about, and so they're a lot of fun to speak to because they love this stuff as much as I do. Give maybe small business owners, can we talk about some practical tips that they can implement? You bet. I'll start talking about some things that I use and I teach, and we can go from there. Simple things I use that are like no-brainers that people don't use them. One is have a kitchen timer in your office. Why? It's a deal. Okay, so you're working in your office, you're on the computer, you're working on a project, you're pretty focused, and you think, you know what, I really want to check my email just for a minute. And so you go to your email, and you know how it goes. An hour goes by, and you're still in your email, which got you off your project you're working on, and you're getting up and done. So I tell people have a simple kitchen timer. When you think to yourself, oh, I want to go do this for a second or check my email for a minute, okay, I'll allow you to do that. But set the timer for five minutes. When the buzzer goes off, get back to work. The key to productivity and success in business is being focused and being organized. That's just one little simple tool I use. Okay, what other tips do you have about email? When to check it, how often to check it, not to check it? One suggestion is if you're going down email land all during the day get nothing done, we've got to get a hold on this. And I would tell you, set maybe three to four times a day to check your email. But we'll say it's 9, noon, and 3. At those times, then just check your email and deal with each one individually. Don't look through all the fun ones first and then keep them open and reread and so forth. Deal with it. Reply to it, delete it, fold it, print it out, whatever you need to do, but deal with it as much to completion as you can, and then move to the next one. But what we do is we skim, and then nothing gets done. The other thing with email is, I think it's real important, are the folders you can make in your email folder box, and then you can set rules. I use Outlook, so you can set rules. For example, I have set all the newsletters I get to a rule. They all go into a newsletter folder, and I read them once a week. I could be busy all week reading people's newsletters and get nothing done. That's good advice. You know, I use Outlook and I use Outlook's calendar and I also just started using the Google calendar where I could schedule things on my calendar but I could see it, my wife could have access to it and my assistant can have access to it. Are there some online tools that you know about that can help really organize someone who's working mainly online? I don't even know about that, Michael, so no, I don't. But one thing I want to say, did you know, Michael, if you right-click on email and drag it to your calendar icon and then choose Move Here as Appointment with Task, you will move that right to a calendar date when you want to deal with that email. It will go out of your inbox and go right to the calendar. Uh, I just did it, and I didn't know it, and I see it. That's great. That's the cool thing. You could also right-click on email, move it to Tasks, and make it a to-do with a deadline date. See, that is a great tip. Isn't that amazing? Let me right-click. That's absolutely awesome. Yeah. You see, we're sitting on all our software that we have, Word and Excel and Outlook. They're wonderful tools, but most people only know 2 or 3% of what they can do. I know. I mean, Outlook is amazing. Do you know it really well? I know it maybe 10%. But I wish I knew it, 25%. That's a great tip. So people need to just spend an hour or get that, you know, who's the guy on TV that sells the CD courses where you can learn Outlook and learn how to use these pieces of software. I mean, the technology and the Internet and the software are just incredible time leverages. Oh, it's amazing. I know there's a book out. I think it's called Tame That Paper Tiger. Taming the Paper Tiger by Barbara Hemphill. I haven't read it, but tell me about it, and do you have any ideas on how I can tame the paper tiger? Are you ready to get organized? If so, go over to Elizabeth's website at organizingtoolsandtips.com. That's organizingtoolsandtips.com. Yes, but I have my own plan. Can I give you mine? Yeah, sure. Okay. It's called the 5S plan, and I give you a website that people can go download the flyer for. That's the 5S plan. It's pretty self-explanatory on the sheet. 
the biggest issue that people have that I've seen in my workshops with my clients is the paper pileup. They don't know if it's just paper. And now they print their emails, they print the websites. I mean, it's just getting worse and worse. And the reason you have paper piles is that there is no decision-making going on as the paper comes into your life. You walk into your office with a bunch of mail and other papers. You set it down. You start going through it. You go, oh, this is a bill. I want to pay it, but I don't want to right now. I'll put it here for now. Oh, here's a magazine. I want to read it. No time right now. I'll put it here for now. And that's how the piles form. We've got to start making decisions. And if you make one of the five F decisions, you'll never pile again. So let me list you the five F's. I'll quickly go through them, and you can tell me if you want any more information. The first F is finished, finished. The second F is fast, F-A-S-T. Third F for others. Fourth F, future short-term. And fifth F is future long-term. And a paper can be finished in two ways. So when you go through your pile, always ask yourself, what's the next action? Well, if there is no action, the paper is finished. It's either finished that you can toss it, shred, or recycle it, or it's finished that the action is done but you may need to refer to it at some point in the future. That's a reference file. So finished papers you just get rid of or you can file it. The fast paper is if it takes two minutes or less, just do it. I call it the Nike rule. Two minutes or less, call the person back, file the email, pay the bill. Two minutes or less, do it, get out of your life. The third F is for others. Perhaps someone else could do it, your assistant, spouse, child, and so forth. But the fourth F, this is the most important one. This is future short term. And I would bet if you have piles on your desk, they're all future short-term. And future short-term means you need to take some action on it. You don't have time right now. It's kind of a bigger deal or maybe something in the future. And you're afraid if you put it away, you're not going to remember to do it and not find it when you need it. So, therefore, you pile it and can't find it anywhere. And, Michael, I heard a statistic that every paper on your desk distracts you five times a day. So multiply that out. So we need a brainless system for this future short-term paper. If you set this system up, it will take care of most of your piles. It's called the command center, the command center. And there are three parts. The first part is what's called a desktop file box. It sits on top of your desk. It's rectangular and holds hanging file folders. And the nicest ones you can buy are at thecontainerstore.com. So that's the first part. The most important part is called the tickler file. And the reason it's called a tickler file is because it tickles your memory when to do things. What it is is a one-piece unit that has 31 file folders for the 31 days of the month and 12 more for months of the year. If you want to see a picture of what it looks like, you can go to thetticklerfile.com. So that sits in front of the box, and that's the most important piece. And the million-dollar question to ask as you pick up a future short-term paper is, when do I need to see this again so it's done on time? So if today, let's say, is the 15th of the month, and you need to see it by the 20th to get it done, drop this paper to the 20th folder and forget about it. It's kind of like a calendar for paper. And then the months ahead are for future. For example, I'm flying to Chicago in November. So my airplane itinerary is in November. When November comes, because if it's the 15th of the month, the 15th and on is this month, 1 through 14 becomes the next month. So at the end of the month, I go into my next month's folder, I pull everything out, and make a decision of when to do it and drop it in that folder. i tell you what, Michael, when all these papers on your desk are in a folder on the day you need to do them, talk about a stress reliever. It's just huge. Yeah, that's nice. And the thing is, Michael, this will never crash on you or out of batteries. It will always be there for you. But you've got to start a habit of putting things in daily and taking things out daily. And once you do that, you're pretty much good to go. What's your view on online banking? I love online banking. Do you do all your banking online? Yes. Is that a time saver? Yes, very much so. And how you can use the tickler font you want to, and I usually use my Outlook calendar for this, but let's say you get a bill and you're kind of in a hurry, drop it into the day you want to pay online, it'll be there to remind you on that day. So that's a great way to use bills in this too. What kind of websites that you go to or software on your computer that really saves you time? Like, I'll give you an example of one that is a miracle to me. It's called RoboForm. Have you heard of that? What's that? com. Okay. Every time you have to go to a website and enter a username or password, it does it for you automatically. Oh, nice. So when you go into your online banking, you're typing your username and password, right? 
Yes. And when you go into your whatever membership websites or whatever, this RoboForm you download and you set up your profile in it. Let's say you had RoboForm on your computer. You went into your online banking. You type your username and password. RoboForm will remember it, and it's secure and everything. So you never, ever have to type a username and password again. Is it safe? Oh, yeah, totally safe. I mean, I've sold millions and millions of downloads. Oh, I love it. It is the most time-saving oh. tool for people who are on the Internet, going into their AOL account or whatever. Like a bookmark, you can click it, boom, it'll go to the site, type in your username and password, and get you in automatically. It's an unbelievable little tool. So I'm thinking, are there any kind of tools that you know about like that? Well, I use QuickBooks software on my computer. It's not an online thing, but that's, of course, awesome for the money stuff. One that I thought while you were talking, Michael, for a small business owner that I love, have you heard about Send Out Cards? For more exclusive interviews on business, marketing, advertising, and copywriting, go to Michael Sinoff's hardtofindsonars.com. I have heard about Send Out Cards. First, I was like, oh, I don't know, you know. But I wasn't saying out cards anyway, so I thought, well, I'll give it a try. That's cool because you go in and you can, within like three minutes, put a personal card, a thank you, whatever you want to do, and then the company sends it out, stamps it, and all you do is push send on your computer. So that's really cool. How about to-do list? Oh, I've got a great idea for this. Okay, again, a simple, cost-effective way. I used to use to-do lists. They always got so messy, they had to approve the next day, it was a mess. And I think some people just do to-do lists just to waste time just to do to-do lists. So one client I had always wrote a to-do list every day, and he always wrote go for lunch on his to-do list because at least he could know he could cross one thing off. I use three-by-five cards. They're called index cards. But from now on, they're going to be called action cards in your life. And I get like hot neon colors. When I'm working, because it's all about staying focused. When I'm working on something, I think, oh, I've got to go to Office Max, I need more paper. I pick an action card, I write on that one thought per card I set aside. I might have maybe ten cards by noon of different things I want to do or think of and so forth. At noon, then, I look at the cards, I spread them all over my desk, and I say, well, what's the most important use of my time right now? I take that card, I flip it upside down on the desk. Then I ask, what's the second most important use? Flip that card upside down on top of the first one. I flip, flip, flip. I turn the pack over on the top of the most important thing to do, and I do them in that order. Now, what's so fun is when the task is done, you can chuck it into the recycle bin. That's much more fun than crossing something off a to-do list, and it's always current, and you can prioritize so easily. So I love that tip. Okay, that's great. You talk about in Chapter 4 of your book, Organizing with Confidence, face your fear and do it anyway. How does fear come into all this? Fear shows up in three main ways. Perfectionism, procrastination, and multitasking. And should I get some tips on each one? Absolutely, yeah. These are important. Okay, perfectionism. That's your fear of not doing things perfectly or not being good enough, in my opinion. And there is no perfection on this earth, so it's time to give it up. Here's a great quote that I think will help. It really helped me because I'm a recovering perfectionist. Michael J. Fox said, I'm careful not to confuse excellence with perfection. Excellence I can achieve. Perfection is God's business. Right, that's good. So I'm after excellence. And so what I do is I have a to-do-over rule. Let's say, for example, I write my monthly newsletter, I write in Word. I then go over two more times to proof it. And then I send it to my virtual assistant, and she makes it all pretty and sends it out. Michael, I could go over that a 100 times, and I would find a typo or a comma or something wrong every time. I call the to-do-over rule, and then go on with your life. Procrastination is a fear of, oh, I can't get done enough, I don't know enough to do it. Procrastination is living life with the brakes on. You're constantly stopping yourself. So the next time you bring a piece of paper up to your face to kind of look at it and see what you need to do, and you feel yourself tempted to put it back on the desk and say to yourself, well, you know what, I'll just do this later, bring it back up to your eyes so you can see it and ask yourself this question. What's the one next thing I can do? What's the one next thing? Well, I can call Mary and ask her this question. Okay, then call Mary. Now what's the next one thing you can do? Now I can write the report. Great, do that. So what's doing is breaking something overwhelming into small, manageable chunks and doing just one thing at a time. Then the multitasking, now I know that we all have to multitask at times, but if you think that you're getting more done more quickly, you are sadly mistaken because the brain can only work on one thing at a time. So if you're working on four projects at one time, your brain's got to stop and start, stop and start every time that you go to a different project. It's going to take you actually longer. So my suggestion is to focus on one thing at a time. And focus to me means doing something and thinking about it at the same time. 
We don't do that. We're doing this, thinking about that, or thinking about this and that, and doing this. If you would focus on one thing, I can guarantee you that you would be more productive, and I can guarantee you that you would change your relationships overnight. When you talk to your 8-year-old son, if you're also looking over at your wife and watching TV and reading a paper, your son does not feel valued. I spend a lot of time on my knees when my kids are little because I'm big on eye contact. I've got on my knees and look them in the eye and talk to them. They feel like the most important person in the world. Absolutely. So forget the multitasking and focus. In fact, a few years ago in the Wall Street Journal, there's an article titled, Multitasking Makes You Stupid. It causes more senior moments at a younger age. I think that's really true. Yeah, that's good. You talk about the acronym for system. Can you describe that? What is the acronym for system you have here? System stands for saving you stress, time, energy, and money. And I think organization is all about systems. So the command center is a system. The action cards are a system. The timer is a system. The robo-form, that's a system. The more systems you set up, the easier life will be. Let's go back to your business. You joined this association. You started putting on workshops. There were three workshops, and then out of those workshops, you would get clients hourly, and then you started packaging yes. your services. Tell me how you slowly got into the speaking business. So I was having all these clients, and I was realizing, because I'm 54 now, so about three, four years ago, I was hurting my back, and it's quite a lot of physical work with the organizing. And so I also, at the same time, started to become a paper pileup expert, not only with moms on their kitchen counter, but also with business people in their home offices and offices. And so I really started specializing in home offices and office offices, because I like to deal with the paper, and paper doesn't hurt your back because it's not heavy. So I kind of went to that way. But at the same time, at the same time, I was doing these workshops, I was asked to speak at Kiwanis, Rotary, those kind of things. And then associations started to find out about me and hired me to come speak. I'm a really great concurrent breakout session speaker. So I give you specific tools to go home with and organize your home and or office. As the more and more I spoke, Michael, the more and more I liked it, the less and less it made me afraid. And I found that I was affecting so many more people's lives at one time than the one-on-one consulting. So your first little speech was for that office for 50 bucks. Yeah, the first pay was 50 bucks. Tell me about your second one. Do you remember? It was 100 bucks. Who was that with? Insurance office for the staff. Yeah, how long would you speak for? Maybe an hour. Okay, yeah. 100 bucks, and then did it mm-hmm. keep going up from there? Well, I kept it there for a little while, and then I think I charged 250 and then 500 and I still charge that in Sioux Falls for an hour lunch and learn, but um, a lot more, of course, obviously, to go and speak to large associations, conferences, and so forth. What would happen after you did a speech? Would people clamor up at the end of the speech and want to hire you? Would they call you? Tell me how that worked. When I was really focused... On organizing clients, that's what I promoted, and that's what they would ask me about. But as I started to wean away from the organizing and want more speaking and find my products, I would promote less and less the organizing and promote more and more the products, try and do it yourself, and or have you come in and speak to your women's group, your association, your state conference, and so forth. So I really find that when you're a speaker, you really have to know what your outcome is of the speech and gear your presentation towards that. Along the way, since you didn't want to get into trading time for dollars, the labor business of organizing, your back was hurting, and you started developing your own information products based on your subject? Yes. What was the first product you developed? The first product? I love forms. So put together like a little household forms kit on a CD. That's my first product for like 10 bucks or something. Had that. And then I wrote my book, Organized with Compass, which is a very small pocketbook. You can also buy along with that a larger spiral-bound manual where I put all my forms in with the CDs you put out on your computer. So do you sell the little pocketbook? Yes, but I try and sell it with a manual because it's a win-win together. What does that sell for? Fifty bucks. Fifty bucks. Okay, so you got a manual with forms and more tools to get you started. Right, but now I just revised it. I'm making the book bigger, combining the forms into the book, and then putting the CD in the book so I can sell it for thirty bucks instead of fifty. People aren't going to use the forms in the manual. Yeah, how big of a book are you going? It's a five and a half by eight. Okay, and you'll be able to get the forms in there. Yeah, now they'll be shrunk, so they're not usable, but you can see what they look like and then go to CD. And I'm real excited about that. Then you'll have the CD in there. Yes, sir. And then at a conference, I can say, today only $20. 
everybody has a $20 bill on them, and they could throw it down. I learned that from some big speaker, James Malinachek. He speaks to colleges a lot and teaches speaking. He goes, everybody has a $20 bill. So he wants a $20 bill. Yeah. I like your little pocketbook. I like the size of it, and it's only about 100 pages. It's yeah. very lightweight and easy to mail. How have you liked it? Well, I like it, and one reason I like it, Michael, is that there are a lot of great organizing books out there, but they're big and fast and thick. And if someone's overwhelmed, are they going to sit down and read a big, fat book? No. So I wrote this small book with little action steps in it. And so I really like it. And it won't be that much bigger with everything in it, but it's just a really handy little book. And the chapters are short. They're like two or three pages, and then you go do something. Because I'm all about taking action. In fact, my organizing clients used to call me the Energizer Bunny on steroids because I'm like, okay, let's go, let's go, let's go. Let's change this. Let's clean this up and get the clutter out and file things away and I can't wait to have you feel better. You know, most people get a big fat book and they'll never read it. So do you find people read the smaller book? Yes, and they can read it in an airplane ride, they can read it in an hour car trip. They can put it in their pocket? Yeah. Did you go through a publisher or did you self-publish? Self-publish. So how many of these did you print up on your first run? I print 200 at a time. What do they cost? $2.68 a piece. That's pretty good. My person who publishes for me, for prints, I'm his favorite. And when you're his favorite, I mean, things happen. <laughs> That's a short run. 200 at a time at about two what a piece? 268. Now, remember, I'm his favorite. He's awesome. I love him. Okay, that's great. So other than your book, your CD, have you developed any further products? Okay, you're not going to believe this. I just finished my latest product last night at midnight. What was it? I'm so excited. It's called the Speak Now and Forever Get New Clients Home Study Program. So I speak to a lot of organizers on how to speak and get clients. I thought, you know what, it's the same principle for insurance agents, realtors, chiropractors, whatever. And so I took that information, and it's two audio CDs, and then it's a forms CD, because I always have a lot of forms with my stuff, and then it's a bonus CD on getting organized and a bonus DVD on you can actually see me give a presentation. And I transcribed everything all in this three-ring binder, and it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful. And so my sales site will go up in a week and a half, and that's my latest thing. And I think I'm going to get a lot of speaking to, you know, even like Mary Kay group, people who want more clients but have no money for marketing. The speaking is basically free. So let me ask you, when you're doing your workshops and your speaking engagements, how is your closing ratio on selling your pocketbook and the forms? Yes, generally 30%. You get 100 people in the audience? Yeah, 100 people, 30 will buy. That's pretty good. I think so? I don't know. 30%? Yeah. So for 100 people, 30% will buy your book and your form CD? Yeah. Now, I just spoke somewhere for 24 people and 12 bought. So it was 50%. That was huge. And I spoke the other night with 40 and 12 bought. It kind of varies in there. You're listening to an interview on Michael Sinoff's hardtofindseminars.com. So how do you close at the end of your speech for the call to action? Before I do my closing to my speech, I have my door prize time. Then I say, I'm now going to give you a 2.5-minute sales presentation. And I want to be real upfront. I hate it when a speaker is selling and acts like he's not selling. So I'm real clear. I talk about my items I have, and then I pass out the order form. And let's say it's the tickler file, the book and manual, and then maybe another filing kit or something. And I say, now, you can buy these separately. If you buy them all together, you get a really special deal. And then I say to the ladies, I say, ladies, haven't you ever gone shopping? And tried on the skirt, the pants, the jacket, and the blouse, the whole suit. She only bought the blouse and the pants. And lady, you wished you would have bought the whole outfit. I say, ladies, buy the whole outfit. And they come up and they buy the whole outfit, the whole package. That's good. So when you speak, you get to keep all the money for your sales, right? Yes. All right. Now, when someone books you, are you booking all your speeches now through, like, organizing speaking bureaus? I'm not with any bureaus. That's all on my own. I do my own marketing. And then when I get a paid gig, you know, big event, you know, 100, 200 people, whatever it is, and I always ask the meeting planner, may I have a product table? And some say yes, some say no. And if they say yes, then I always give a permission up front, may I have a 2.5-minute sales presentation during my talk? And I also say I do not sell while I talk because meeting planners want to know that. You don't want someone that's going to sell the whole time. I give huge content. And usually I get such good content, they want to take me home with them. But then I always ask things up front, and if they say yes, great. If they say no, that's the right answer, too, because at least I know up front. No, I see. So how often are you speaking throughout the year? Well, not as much as I'd like, Michael. I would say 
maybe two to three times larger paid gigs. Every seven weeks, I give a free workshop in Sioux Falls to women on organizing. I've done that for two and a half years, very, very religiously. Tomorrow, I'm speaking to insurance people. Next week, I'm speaking in San Diego to real estate people. And then more organizers in Atlanta the following week. So it kind of varies. You've got something here about mind mapping. Oh. Tell me about what is mind mapping and how can that organize my life better? Okay. Whenever I'm faced with a big project or I want to write a new book or I'm going to write a speech, whatever, I always mind map because when the thoughts are in your head, they're overwhelming, they drive you crazy. You do it on paper or software? You can do both. One thing I have in my office is a big whiteboard. I can do it on there or I can do it on paper or I have the software called MindJet. It's sold from mindmanager.com and it's quite expensive. There's lots of free mind mapping software out there also. Basically, what a mind map is, is a circle in the middle of the paper with lines coming out like rays of the sun. So let's say we're going to work in your office, Michael, and your goal is an organized office. So in this circle, you'd write, my organized office. Then I would have you stand in the doorway to your office and look around your office. And wherever your eye lands on a major area of irritation, you want a main line or branch for that. For most people, they draw a line out, and for most people, their desk is a disaster. So they draw a line out and title that desk. And then perhaps their file cabinets are a mess. Draw a line out, out file cabinets. Maybe their floor is a mess. That'd be a line. And then maybe their bookcases. That might be the four main areas. Then you look at the desk and go, how can I break this down into even smaller, manageable chunks? And I call those baby shoots, baby shoots that come off the main line. And so from your desk line, maybe the top of desk is a baby shoot. Maybe your desk drawer is another baby shoot. And maybe under the desk is a baby shoot. And then file cabinets, if you have four drawers, before baby shoots, drawer one, drawer two, drawer three, drawer four. And you go around, you mind up your whole office. Then you ask yourself, what do I want to do first, second, third, and so forth? And you circle those areas and number them. And then the key is put those prioritizations in your calendar as appointments and do them on those days. So if next Wednesday at 2 o'clock to 4 o'clock, Michael, you do the top of your desk, that's your appointment, and you do it, and you handle it, and get it done. And that's how you can break a big project into small, manageable chunks. Okay, very good. What are some other good, juicy organizing tips? Okay, tell me about the closet. What are some good tips for someone who's got a messy closet? You mean like a clothing closet? Yeah. Okay. Whenever you organize, you've got to take everything out, else you're cleaning or rearranging. Now, people moan and groan when I say this, but I say, clear off your bed, Clear off your floor in your bedroom. Put it somewhere else. That's not our problem today. Then take everything out of your closet and put it over the floor in the bed. And then you're going to wish you had never heard of me because now it's a real complete disaster. But I tell people, trust me and trust the process. And then you start the START method. And the START method is an acronym. And the S stands for sort, T for toss, A for appoint to home, R restrict to a container, and T take back control. You start sorting through, and you sort through your tossing stuff, you're putting things into the giveaway and so forth. And I tell women, if it doesn't fit, it doesn't go back into your closet. And they all moan and groan because they go, but Elizabeth, it will fit someday. But I say, every time you flip by those five pants that don't fit because they're too small, you are feeling bad about yourself, and that's just horrible. So if you won't give them away, get a bin and mark it in a year or something, and put that away outside of your closet so you don't look at those clothes every day. So you're sorting and tossing. When you're done with that, what's left then out from that closet, you've done the A, you've appointed a home, and then you can put them back in the closet, which is restricted to a container. And a closet container is a hanger. You hang everything back by category, you know, blouses, skirts, T-shirts, pants, and so forth, and then inside the category by color, light to dark, whites, blues, browns, blacks, and so forth. And then you look in this closet and you go, oh, my goodness, this looks fantastic. You've taken that control and you feel really, really good. That's great. I'm just thinking in my home some things that really take up a lot of time. And I'm thinking the kitchen. And that was a great idea about preparing your meals a week ahead of time. I'll tell you, you know, with my kids, there's one thing that my kids are constantly asking for. And I don't have a refrigerator where they can go get water and push the thing and get it themselves because the ice is up high. I was thinking for parents with kids, because they always say, water, please. 
can I have some ice water? And you've got to constantly get up and go get the ice and go get them ice water all the time, every day, two or three times a day. I'll tell you, having one of those refrigerators where they can get the ice in the water themselves is a big time saver. Or put a jug of water in the fridge on a low shelf. They don't need ice. That's a good idea. Then they can get it themselves. Exactly. Yeah, I'm doing that. Any other tips in the kitchen? Oh, work out of centers. And by centers, I mean like items together. And next time you cook or your wife cooks, watch if you walk around a lot while you're cooking and baking, then you're not working out of centers. So one center is a baking center. All your flour, sugar, spices, mixing bowls are all together in one spot. Of course, all your plates, cups in one spot. And when you work out of centers, you're going to save a lot of time. And then also, you know, in your pantry, do the same thing. Take everything out and really go through all this food. And then I like those clear, the brand is Sterilite, but at Target, they're shoebox size bins. And I put those in, and the pasta goes in one. All the Kool-Aid can go in one, and you label them. And if your pantry looks so nice, it's so easy to put things away. Yeah, that's nice. So tell me, my listeners who want to know about how to get your book, how to get this new speaking product you were talking about, and before you tell me how, I want you to tell me a little bit more about what's on this form CD and how one can benefit from it. Yeah, the organizing form. The forms in there help you organize your home and or your office. And there's great ones. There's a great meeting agenda form, which I love, which keeps people on track of meetings. There's a reminder form that will help you stay focused while you work, and then you can fill the reminder form to put into your ticker file later. There's a great grocery list slash menu planner that you can plan ahead for a week and go once a week to the store and get stuff. So there's all kinds of great forms. They tell you how to use it. The instructions in there, they're just all great. Okay, where can my visitors learn more about you? ElizabethHagen.com. E-L-I-Z-A-B-E-T-H. H-A-G-E-N dot com. What are you using to manage all your emails and stuff? Constant contact is I send my newsletter out. And then one shopping cart is my shopping cart. That's good. What's constant contact charge you? I think it's 79 a month. My VA liked that so much better than one shopping cart for the newsletter part, and so I just use that. Plus, I can go in by myself because of all the templates and little promo ones by myself. And so how often are you mailing to your list? It's a twice-a-month newsletter, and then I usually hit them not more than two more for a promo, but probably three times a month, but sometimes more. I try and be careful about that. You mentioned you have an assistant, and there's a lot of small businesses operating online who are trying to do everything themselves. Tell me how using an assistant can organize your life better. Can we do everything all ourselves? I wish we could, but we can't, and we're going to kill ourselves. And so it's important to realize the things that you do that you either aren't all that good at or you don't like doing and make a list of those and then find people who can do it for you. For example, something I do right now is a lot of database entry, and I shouldn't be doing that. If I value my time at one seventy-five an hour, I could be paying someone ten dollars an hour to do the database entry. It's a no-brainer. So we've got to think about things that I'm wasting my time at. While I'm doing that database entry, I could much better be going after some speaking events that I can make thousands and thousands of dollars at and not doing these things that make me no money. My virtual assistant is really more of a graphic web person. So anything that has to do with my newsletter, changing copy to a website, anything like that, I know nothing about I don't want to learn. And that all goes to her. Well, look, this has been great. Thank you so much, Michael. All right, take care. Bye. Okay, bye. Are you ready to get organized? If so, go over to Elizabeth's website at organizingtoolsandtips.com. That's organizingtoolsandtips.com. www.organizingtoolsandtips.com. Organizingtoolsandtips.com. For more interviews like this, go to hardtofindseminars.com.